0: Ecclesiastes 11. If you weren't here last week, I'll go ahead and um, recap. Something dawned on me while I was studying this week. Um, We've been going over several books um, Saturday mornings, and I I realized um, Death by Living, um, Things of This Earth, and Worldly Saints, all three actually kind of touch on Ecclesiastes. Um, So I'm I'm reading, I'm trying to... uh, get resources, get illustrations, understand better, and I realized that three of the books I'd actually gone through in depth actually touch on this. Essentially, how do we, how do we live in this world? Um, that's kind of the premise of what all the books are about, which is exactly what Ecclesiastes is kind of asking us. How do we live in this world that's fallen, it's corrupt, it has gifts, blessings, it's unpredictable? How do we live a life that's meaningful in, in this world? Um, so that's that's what the book is about. Again, I'll, Proverbs is it's part of the wisdom series. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. Proverbs asks and, and shows you um, if you live by wisdom, your life should be better. Generally, should be better. It, it will go well generally. Ecclesiastes says not always. There's there's twists, there's turns. It's like chasing the wind, and, and Job. Is essentially, almost like a real life illustration of what that really looks like because because that's probably all what we're wanting. How does this look like in real life well the the book of Job might not be super reassuring, but I mean, read it, we know how it ends and as we as we wrap up the study, so last week was part one, essentially, life is meaningless um, you can't control it everyone's going to die so what does it gain you to live exceptionally wise and in the end you're going to die just like the fool? Where, where's the gain in that? But as we kind of concluded, if you're pursuing the right thing, if you do the right thing but pursue the wrong thing, your life will be meaningless. Wisdom is great, but wisdom apart from God is meaningless. You'll die, no one will remember you, it. what will you accomplish accomplished under the sun but as we, as we wrap up I, I do want to make one thing clear with this study is that this book is not about us it's not how we relate to our possessions, our work it has nothing to do with that it, it has everything to do with how we relate to God and through that relationship it brings meaning into those things so we, we, we can't skip God in all this, we have to remember This book is about how we relate to God, first of all. If you don't, you'll be left scratching your head, wondering, what is this life all about? Or you might be the richest person on earth, and you'll die, lose it all, and lose your soul and and the purpose. Or, Or maybe not. Maybe you're a Christian here who's looking to kick it back, enjoy life, enjoy the good life, and just coast in and die. And in the end, you'll give an account for what you've done. Ecclesiastes makes that very clear. There is a judgment, whether believer or non-believer, you will give an account. So how do, how do we live in this fallen world? So last time I read the first six, this time I'm just going to read chapters 11 and 12. I realized it's a little bit long, so I kind of tweaked it. Um, so if life is, life is meaningless, if God is not your ultimate pursuit. So remember that. This is about us pursuing God, not not about us working well, doing church well. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. So follow along with me. Verse 11 and 12. "Cast Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, Or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there will it lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember, the day of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart heart, and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and your heart draws near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed on the, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anyone beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. God, we, we come to this book um, with questions, many of which, many, we cannot answer. May we hear in your word just the, the truth that you are God. You, you are sovereign over this fallen world. Lord, may we truly desire to look into our hearts and make change. Lord, I pray that you will work in our hearts to draw out any chasing after the wind, any, anything that ultimately does not result in us grabbing hold of you. This I pray. Amen. So again, like last week, I'll, I'll ask you guys to do me a favor. Um, be honest with yourself. Look in your heart and be honest with yourself. We know when we're lying, so be honest. And, and I can't help but come to this book and, and thinking about like life. And, and I don't know every detail of every one of you guys' lives but I know enough to know that sounds like ecclesiastes there's a lot of twists there's turns there's there's success but ultimately from that how, how do we live in this world so so we're looking at now that li- life is full of meaning when you go after the right thing which is what what the salt or the the writer, the teacher of Ecclesiastes is doing in this. This this, cha- this final chapter, and it's really just like the final eight verses, it's, it's kind of like everything hinges on on this. You you can read the first 11 and a half chapters and think, yeah, I don't understand. I have questions. What is the meaning of this? And then you get to this final part, and it, it, it's just like, it's like, Beautiful and how simple it is, and also frustrating in how extremely simple the answer is. Because the book is so complex, and it asks so many questions you cannot answer. The answer is so profound and simple. It, it, it's like beautiful and just this, this answer, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. But it's also frustrating because I want more. I want, I want you to tell me 1 through 20. But he doesn't do that. So everything has meaning. The books that we, we studied on these Saturdays are basically going over that. How do, how do we live in this world? Uh, I'll quote N.D. Wilson, who wrote um, Death by Living. I'll quote him at the end. He, he has a very unique style where every, he focuses on story. And in each one of us have a story, and ultimately we can read this book as a story. The story of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. And we can't help but relate to him. But the, in the, his conclusion, he focuses on a few different things. And, and you'll hear it as we, um, hopefully you went back and read, maybe you heard it last week when I read the first six chapters, but he kind of hints at the answer a little bit. He drops nuggets here and there throughout the book. And, and I'll go over some of them. But he, he's focusing on four points to help the listener. And, and remember, the goal is not to find meaning and work meaning and pleasure meaning in church that is not our goal our, our goal is to pursue God and through that everything has meaning easy to say hard to do and, and that's why ultimately it's an individual goal but it's also a collective goal it's it's my my job to my family, my family's job to the church, your your individual job to each other. We, we all must help each other. We all must be honest with ourselves. And not only to ourselves, but, but honest to other people. We, we must do this all together. This is not an individual pledge to individuals. That's half of it. We must all as a body be striving to help each other reach this, help our families reach this, and then go out ultimately with the goal to help our coworkers, the lost, reach this. So how do we how do we find meaning in this confusing world? Ecclesiastes five, one through three says, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Draw near to listen. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in the heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and it fools a fool's voice with many words. The first thing, fear God and keep his commands. He is in heaven, and you are on earth. Essentially, remember your place. Again, easy to say. I forgot my place many times this week. As I'm sure all of us have. And because I'm sure we all have, it's even more of a cry for us to all help each other. We need each other. We need this. So fear God and keep his command. This is how you find meaning in your life. I want to read, it's actually a song, um, an interlude, by one of my favorite um, artists, Shai Lin. Um, he says, regards to the fear of God. Proverbs 1, 1, 17 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What exactly is the fear of the Lord? When you think of fear, what comes to mind? Well, when it comes to fearing God, you shouldn't think fear in the same way a person fears snakes or heights or the mafia. The idea is more what you think as you're staring out into the vastness of the ocean or standing on the precipice of the Grand Canyon. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe before the reality of God. Therein lies the problem. In this sin-infected world we live in, the fear of the Lord is the exception, not the rule. Scripture teaches that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil and that it's by the fear of the Lord that one turns away from evil. But it says in Romans 3.10, None is righteous, no not one, no one understands. No one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Then it goes on to say in verse 15, Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And what's the reason for that? What's the source of all the violence and evil? Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So all evil in this world can be tracked or traced to, back to not fearing the Lord. And if the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, then not fearing the Lord must lead to death. And that's where we stand. In the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, we find a prophecy about a Savior to come. And it says in verse 3 that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That Savior is none other than Jesus Christ, who lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law. Jesus feared God perfectly and he died on the cross and rose from the grave to save his people from their sins so that all who trust him can joyfully walk in the fear of the Lord forever. That should be describing us, Christian. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes I kind of wonder what Harrison is going to learn about the fear of the Lord and I have to like correct myself, because when he's bad, my, and Lauren, Lauren very well knows this, my first reaction is like swift judgment, get you back on track, and and I hope that's not what we think the fear of the Lord is, that as soon as we step out of line, lightning strikes, and to my shame, I have to learn to teach that to Harrison as well, it's hard Probably because at times I have a warped understanding of the fear of the Lord as well. And if I think we're honest and we'll admit it, we probably all do. So fearing God and keeping his commandments. He is up in heaven and we're not. Ecclesiastes uh, 11, 5-9 says, as you don't know the way that the spirit comes to the bones in the woman of a in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. We're talking about life under the sun, but as a believer we have to also be thinking about life after life under the sun. Many times Ecclesiastes is talking about the life under the sun, but it many times refers to the judgment that is coming whether secret things or, or things that are in the open that judgment is coming for us the next point I want to focus on is many times he, he talks about accepting your lot in life give up control so fear God and keep his commandments understand who God is in your relation to him and give up your control this one's tough I control my life. I make the decisions. Essentially, yes, but not really. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Ecclesiastes 8.16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night, um, day nor night, do anyone's eyes sleep. Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much many toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. We cannot control our life. The events that I talked about um, last week my, my car getting hit, um, I've had many jobs where I haven't quite got them I finally get it and then I find out that the way my heart is is that I am a monster I, I am corrupting this great position I have just by ultimately not pursuing God in it I have no control over my life and we better accept that we can't control it the, the New Testament talks about if any man will, I should have wrote it down, if any man will find his life, he'll lose it, or if he wants to lose his life for my sake. Essentially talking about, you know, you want to have control over your life, give up control and give it to God. It's, it's kind of backwards in the way we look at it. Fear God, know who he is, and accept your lot in life. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is God. God has put you here. God is in control. As as out of control as this book may seem, ultimately, it should only reinforce our view that God is sovereign. God is still sovereign over the book of Job. He didn't let go for a moment and then everything went into chaos. God ultimately orchestrated all that the same way he orchestrates everything that's happening in our own life, whether in our opinion, good or bad. Whether Joys or, or gifts or, or hardship. Give up control. And the next point: enjoy what God has given. Joy, trials. Enjoy it. And I know enough of us are going through trials. We're going through joy. But it, but it, it's God orchestrated. It's God given. God is not just sovereign in the things that we like, but ultimately God is is sovereign over everything. Enjoy your trials. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. God is sovereign. We, We say it. Perhaps so easily it, it, the, the actual meaning might go over our heads is yeah God is sovereign great God is sovereign but God is sovereign over this and ultimately that's where we need each other for that reminder I can, I can say it in my heart when I go through something but there, there are times where my faith is small and it doesn't register we all need each other we need to be in each other's lives not just our own families. But if we were a body of believers covenanting together as a family, we must be in each other's lives, reminding each other of the truth. Because all of us at some point will go through these struggles where your faith is weak and we must have each other. Do not forsake your brothers and sisters to endure these things alone. I'm not saying be pervasive. But I'm saying, open up, bring others in, and let's help each other. Let's help each other fear God. Give up control. Remember that God is sovereign. Enjoy what God has given. And the last point, we don't live for life under this sun. We might toil here. We're here right now, but ultimately, This is not it. I hope it's not. I hope we don't live like that. And we do. We do. I'm not going to say, oh, no, it it never happens. It does. And and that's ultimately why we're in this book, because it does happen. We live at times as if this life under the sun is all that matters. Ecclesiastes 3:11 through 15 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is, has already been. That which is to be, has already been. And God seeks what has been driven away. There's a line in here that I don't necessarily like. (laughs) Um, Everyone would be like, oh yeah, yeah, I agree with that, but I don't think we like it. I also, um, it's a... I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. If I'm being honest, I don't really like that verse. But it's through, through the pain, the sufferings, the toil that perhaps we come to know God the most. And I would argue also we know ourselves how desperately wicked we are. In my moment of struggling with my job, with finally getting what I want, and then ultimately seeing the wickedness of my own heart, it it's brought me to, to step back and kind of perceive my own true nature that's not so glamorous and, and God's own hand that ultimately, yes, he has brought me here through my many rejections to get me to this place. Kids seem like a great illustration of this, of discipline and, and, and correcting them, not because you hate them, but because it's good for them. And ultimately, you know, they'll thank you for it. I, I think my parents, like, 20 years later, and, and then I told my parents how... Being a, being a parent is really hard because you're probably not going to hear back, like, full gratitude until they're in their 20s, which is what I did. Once I was smart enough to realize how much my parents did for me, caring for me. And my mom laughed then, but having Harrison, I think, oh, man, like, this could be, like, a long time, perhaps. Maybe not for like full appreciation of all that's done in the same way that God cares for us through things that we don't like. I don't like toiling. I don't like correction. I don't like waiting. But I think that's what we all need. And God knows it because he is sovereign, because he created this fallen world and he understands it. He knows it. so for application so those are the, the, the main points that as we last week we looked forwards to the end and right now we're looking from the end back knowing that the, the focal point of the chapter is fear God and keep his commandments and then throughout the chapter the, the author hints at it many times what he's getting at so by way of application it's actually relatively simple and I was working on this and, and looking at it, I was like, "Oh I don't have enough points." And then I was like, deleting things, and I ultimately realized like, it's really simple. So we'll go over it. One, one extremely practical thing. Um, stop. Thank God for your food, your drink, your trials. And your joys. I mean, stop. It's more evidence that God is sovereign and, and providential. So, as you eat today, I'm not talking about just pray over the food, but I, I'm talking about stop and, and thank God. That's what the the teacher is telling us to do, pleading with us to do. Stop. Acknowledge we're not in control. God has gifted us graciously through trials and good things, but stop and understand your place in this universe and and thank God for it. Eat, drink, and be merry. So that's my practical application. Number two, keep his commandments. Love your God with all your heart soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Very, very practical. It's not 1 through 20, it's 1 and 2. Love God, love your neighbor. Keep his commandments. All of his commandments can be summed up in that. Love God, love your neighbor. If you don't know what that means, there's this book. And you can start in Genesis, and you can end in Revelation, and you'll know what it means. If you still don't know what it means, ask someone. (laughs) We're a body together. We don't all know everything, obviously. We don't have control over everything, obviously. And we all have questions, obviously. It's almost like anticlimactic because it's so simple. Keep God, or keep His commandments. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? It looks exactly like it says. Who's your neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor. Love God. Andy Wilson says this, and he wrote uh, Death by Living Rule one for mortals. Love the Lord your God with every bit of you. Rule number two for mortals. Love your neighbor as yourself. Tip number one for mortals. Ask God to call your bluffs. Because we don't always love God or love our neighbors. Ask God to call your bluffs. So go home and read the book. For such a complex book, the answer is... So simple. Extremely simple. And ultimately, don't go home today thinking that this message was just for you and next Sunday there'll be another thing and it'll just wash over you. But go home thinking that we have responsibilities to our family, to our wife, to our churches, to our work, to fear God, keep His commandments. We have a responsibility as a body to hold each other accountable to this. I don't care if you like it or not. It's your responsibility. The same way your responsibility is not to reject those people who try to hold you accountable to that. We're all here together with the ultimate desire to pursue God and to fear him and keep his commandments. So I'll close with this. Um, another another quote from N.D. Wilson just essentially summarizing Ecclesiastes. So yes, the earthly gifts of God are fleeting. Yes, they can and will be lost. But when we embrace our creatureliness and look to the one shepherd, the creator God who guides and governs this crooked world and who has bound himself to us for our good, we are free to eat and drink and be merry and to enjoy life with the people we love all the days of our enigmatic lives because this is our portion and God approves let's close in prayer oh god in highest heaven we we sing the song and and so many truths that are evident in it and and then we we read book like Ecclesiastes and, and if we're not careful the truths can, can wander away as, as we delve into perhaps our own self pity of how, how confusing life can be but you are in the heaven and we are not you are in control of our lives you, you desire to grow us and to nurture us it is not your desire to lead us about in an endless, confusing maze until we ultimately grow weary and frustrated and die. Lord, may we Lord, may we feel a sense of just ease, knowing that in this fallen world, there is one who is in control. There is one who knows and understands and orchestrates for our good, our life, our family, our church, our workplace, everything. May we rest in that so that we can truly eat, drink, and be merry. And and thank you for the good gifts and the trials that you've given us. In your name, amen.